Athletic. Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Well, I don't know what was the worst thing about this week. My prediction, my guarantee that Liverpool will beat Real Madrid or the performance at Anfield. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry today. Well, let's see how they bounce back from it. Right, we're going to talk about the demolition at the hands of Real Madrid and we've gone to the pub. We're all sitting in Pogue Mahomes on Seal Street. We have James Pearce, Keith O'Neill and Andy Jones and Guinness all over the table. So how do we sum it up? Well, I could start it this week, uh, drowning my sorrows. <laughs> Kiva. Well, we're all doing that, aren't we? Uh, I'll go for absolutely bloody woeful. It's quite <laughs> quite fitting. Uh, still in shock, I think, is, is the best way I can sum it up at the moment. I'll go for big summer rebuild. Yeah, well, certainly. And, well, there's been plenty of comments on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Uh, Sean Casey, Pancake Tuesday Ruins. Oh, I still enjoy me pancakes. Kevin Drazley, reality check delivered. Well, fair enough. Ronan Horrigan, dead and buried. And Steve Nagel, roster needs turnover. The full-time whistle, half-time in the tie. But the mountain that Liverpool will have to climb in Madrid in three weeks' time is extremely steep. There's still 90 minutes to play in the Bernabeu. If Liverpool pull this off, it will be their greatest ever European night. Half-time in the tie, full-time tonight. Liverpool 2, Real Madrid 5. Well, I don't want to overreact to it, like... But is this uh, Istanbul dreams quashed, James? Well, I think it feels like it, but then I, I do I do still think in a few weeks' time, once the, the kind of hurt from last night dissipates a little that there'll be just a little bit of us thinking you know score first at the Bernabeu you just <laughs> no you just never the, know no away goals. exactly yeah so um and, and you never say never for especially where Liverpool are concerned with I think anyone many people have been made to look foolish in the past haven't they with we've <laughs> seen enough unlikely comebacks haven't we over the years yeah. I think I think the only thing with this, obviously, people point back to the Barcelona semi-final four years ago. Um, you know, no one gave Liverpool a prayer having lost three 0 in the Camp Nou. But make no mistake, this—if Liverpool pull this one off, this would be up there with anything they've ever achieved. Because you know, to go to the Bernabeu, and it's not even just the fact they've got to go there. It's it's what we saw in the second half last night in terms of the golf that that currently exists because I know you know you can I was amazed some of the stats coming out from the game in terms of Liverpool won it on expected goals and <laughs> and and you know shots and and big chances and passes in the final third and everything else but anyone who witnessed that game in the second half saw that you know there was a chasm really between one team that you know looked like they're going to take you know some real stop into in terms of they try and retain their european crown and another team that's fallen a long way away from the heights they were at last season yeah well i mean you know after the first what 15 minutes i was like yeah me guarantees come in i thought <laughs> you know i'm not only a, it's a fool's luck i thought two nil up we hadn't conceded first, 2-0 up against Real Madrid. I was excited. Kiva, how were you feeling? We were all excited, wasn't we? I'm just glad we've decided to record this in a pub so we can, you know, have a drink. The Guinness <laughs> is good, by the way. 
Yeah, I just thought it was, I think Klopp said after the game, didn't he, that that was Liverpool at the best this season. And it was, it was like watching them against City, Roma, all those big games where they just, against Porto, probably like a hundred times, just demolishing teams and looking so comfortable at doing it. But that defensive weakness, I don't know, there's still this energy in the team that just makes you worry about them. And I feel like, you know, we've had a lot of false dawns. They can't come much bigger than Everton and Newcastle, can they? No, because that no. just made us all think and feel like, do you know what? And that start, how fast it was. Because Liverpool have been starting games slow, sluggish to come out the blocks, I guess. And then scoring two goals quickly, won them the Newcastle game, could have won them this game. But then they just completely switched off, capitulated. And I guess it's just troubling to see, isn't it? Because you just felt like they were getting further away from that and getting closer to the best form. And we've seen the best form in those, whatever, 14 minutes. But that was it then. After that, it just it just all fell apart. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that struck me is Gomez and Fabinho in particular. You can see the lack of confidence in them. There's also... They're not good enough at the moment. I mean, and you wonder whether they're ever going to be good enough to compete at this level. I think a lot of it revolves around that second goal and sort of the the confidence state at the moment and the, the head loss that sort of happens after it because it's, you know, Bastard sort of starts the, the initial situation in midfield and, you know, you, you can certainly forgive him for that, for being a, an 18-year-old playing, you know, the biggest game of his career. But then you think they've dealt with it and then Alisson then sort of decides to just boot it at Vinicius when he could boot it anywhere else on the pitch. What was going on with the goalkeeping? <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen two goalkeepers as good as these two make two egregious errors that bad? I think I, it I, felt like, like payback, yeah. didn't it, for the final? Courtois saved yeah. absolutely. Liverpool have 24 shots and, you yeah, know, yeah, the was... ones that were on target, he saved absolutely all of them. And then that mistake, it felt like, race right, a little bit of justice, yeah. a little bit of revenge on the cards. And then Alisson goes and does something completely similar, completely out of character for him. This season, I guess. It was Carrius in goal for both teams, wasn't it? In the well, end. Yeah. And you know what's <laughs> going to happen? He's going to play in the League Cup final. He's going to have a, he's going to have a stormer. And they're all going to be looking at that and going, well, yeah, he's going to have the last laugh. But, no, I mean, yeah, the goalkeeping was funny. It was comedy. But, really, Alisson, who's been so good all year, you, you could just you could feel them. And I, might, I watched it on telly. But you could almost feel the air going out of the team yeah. and the crowds. Yeah, yeah. You know, James, you were there. I think, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think... And and obviously Liverpool had made some strides forward in beating Everton and Newcastle, but the fear always was: Are they still brittle? How how much has that really lifted them? And are they still vulnerable? And the, the you know, unfortunately, the answer was a resounding yes. And you you know, it's inexplicable what Allison did, isn't it? Because you know he's been the one key player you'd say who hasn't really had a dip that has been performing at his level, which is you know up there with the, the best in the world consistently throughout the season and I think when when someone like him does something like that in such a big game at such a pivotal moment I think it just deflates everyone and it laid bare like how brittle the belief is and how fragile this team are and I know Klopp Klopp afterwards actually said for him the killer was the third goal which mm. I can understand because you know it's two minutes after half time and yeah. and you know I, I think that was the infuriating thing the fact that Real Madrid can hurt you in so many ways there's such a such an unbelievable team to watch and like Modric was like an absolute joy again and, and Benzema, you know, just absolutely lethal and they're ruthless and all the rest of it. But they were given such a helping hand mm. and, and you can't, you can't do that. Even the first goal, Vinicius, it's a great strike, but Gomez far too slow to close him down. The, the second one, obviously, Alisson is you know, unbelievably bad. And then, yeah, the third, 
just absolute basics and how how does Militao have a free header five yards oh, out you know, he, he goes from Trent's got him at the far post again when we talk about it we seem to talk about it every week you know the lack of communication that's not a tactical issue is it that's just in terms of that's just basics that's just players not taking responsibility it was Sunday league wasn't it I mean you know he just he walks across the face of what how many six players and can stop and edit in when I was playing for the George in the Kirby League, I defended better than that. Oh, it's so passive, isn't it? And watching it back, we're quite lucky, by the way. We should tell our listeners that we're in Pogues and the whole replay of the game has just <laughs> been on the screen. So we've had to re-watch it while we're, while we're about to record. So we're all like... The mocking us, the mocking us. And we watch that back and you just like, nobody moves. Like, all right, you see Andy Robertson, I think, on his tiptoes, which is a classic. That's what he always does. But no one moves, it's just in that straight line and... I don't know if Klopp was asked to explain that, but it was just, it was baffling. It's just just a lack of like being proactive and going towards the ball and just, you know, the unmarking zones, I guess. But players are more important sometimes. And I just, yeah, I can't, I can't get it. The problem is, it's like, it's two things, isn't it? There are structural problems in that team, but also individuals are useless at the moment. <laughs> so, and it, it all came together last night in a perfect storm of ugly chaos at Anfield, and you know I don't know I don't know what we can do except get another pint and come back <laughs> and cry some more. <laughs> Imagine the scenario: a much-loved and inspirational leader has announced his intention to take a career break, and you need to find someone just as tactically astute and charismatic, but perhaps without the glasses and the teeth. Well, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They've even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk. W-L-K to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Tony Evans here with James Pierce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones with Walk On from The Athletic. We're having a post-mortem about Liverpool's defeat to Real Madrid. So, Jürgen didn't manage the game very well, did he? The team didn't manage it, but I don't think it was the manager's finest night, James. No, I'd, I'd, I'd go along with that. Um, you know, I, I think it was symptomatic of this season, isn't it, in terms of what was unfolding in front of Klopp's eyes was clearly a million miles away from what they'd worked on and demanded after after the setbacks that we talked about previously. And he wasn't able to, you know, he, he was almost you know helpless in terms of trying to change the course of the game. I think he, he described it as, you know, when, when you've got the momentum against a team like Real Madrid, you just simply can't afford to relinquish it. And if you do, I mean, I was there the day before the game and he said about, you know, the thing with this Real Madrid team is they never panic. He said, you know, even when you think you've got them backs against the wall, they don't. And we, that came to the fore, didn't it? So that was the frustration, the fact that, you know, especially that opening 20 minutes, as Kiva said earlier, you know, it was everything we've come to love about Klopp's Liverpool. You know, the tempo, the intensity, you know, imposing themselves on an opponent, Anfield, but it's, you know, it's confrontational 
spiky best and and you thought could this be one of those iconic nights and then it just so quickly unraveled and you'd have to say you know both teams eventually reverted to type which was Real Madrid absolutely dominant and Liverpool found wanting in every department I think that was the thing as well you know they 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 lost their way all over the pitch and and you're right you know Klopp couldn't do anything to to impact it you know he wasn't able to to change the course of it whatsoever, and you know, the, the, I thought the last 10, 15 minutes when it was went so flat was was actually quite embarrassing in terms of you know the Olays ringing out from the away end, and you know Liverpool got schooled. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that of all the Liverpool teams I've seen, and I've seen a lot of Liverpool teams over the years, but like this one is the one that feeds off the crowd most, and when it goes well, it's like a it's like an electrical circuit that's buzzing, and you know, and everyone's the crowd get more excited, the players get get better, and more excited. But we saw the negative side of that against Real Madrid because once there's a lack of belief everywhere, there's a lack of belief on the cop, there's a lack of belief on the pitch, and once. Once the mistakes started and Real go on top, you could feel people were just waiting for the, for the inevitable to happen. That's how it felt to me, Kiva. Yeah, watching on the telly, it just felt like you could hear a pin drop. And like you say about the Olays, no, Andy, you were there. Like, how did it feel being with the yeah, fans? Like, what fun. was going on around you? <laughs> uh, not much. I think it, there was this sort of acceptance, just sort of that we were playing against a better team. And I, I do think the manner of the goals didn't help in that. For half an hour, Liverpool are probably the better side. I know Real have got back into it at that point. But it was, it was feeding off both that the first goal leads into the second goal, that pressing Liverpool were all over Real Madrid at the times. But then when, when that second goal goes in, you sort of, oh, here we go again. We've, we've had this lead. We've been the better side for that first half an hour. But we've still found ourselves 2-2. And I think Real Madrid are really good at that. They keep really calm. But I think they make other teams... Then panic because they're so calm. I mean, they, they did it at the Etihad last year. I know they lost that game 4 3, but they were 2 0 down after 10 yeah. and still stayed in it. Just, yeah. you know, City were the better side, but they kept in it, they kept in it, and then were able to, to win it in the second leg. And they have that aura. That, that's, you I know, don't even know what you put that down to. What is yeah. it? Just the, the... The, them and the, the competition and the 14 time winners. The, yeah. I mean, it, last, last year's run was mental. How they seemed out of every tie. It's in the badge, it's in the kit, it's yeah. in the, the, the manager as well. Yeah. He's just, he's. Coolness, and, class, yeah. and then you've got players like Modric, yeah. like running away from Bessetic at one point, <laughs> and I think that was the build-up to the fifth goal. Just, I guess, experience, isn't it, more than anything? Yeah. Yeah. But this, the- this Liverpool team have experience. I think that's what frustrates you because they're experienced in so many different ways on the Egan Klopp. And you know we know in the past as well, but just that didn't show, did it? At any point, no. I was not saying at before all. when we were watching the highlights, like kind of wish Andy Robertson hadn't made that tackle. Liverpool going three two. I just feel like there's something happening in that half time where they're like, "Oh God, we've, this can't get away from us." I don't know. Just it's hard to sort of think about, isn't it? I think one more goal and you'd feel like Liverpool are still in this. It just feels really out of out of reach now, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of them where when the penalty wasn't given, you know, from the shove on the back on on Nunes, you're like, you know, it just would have been one more goal. Two, you you might be thinking, you know, we can go there, we can go there. And then, and then, you know, by the time we get to the second leg, as you said before, James, we'll be going, yeah, you know what? It's not out of sight. But at the moment, are we going too far, James, to say that this looks like the end of the road for this group of players? Um, yeah, I think to a degree, I think you've got to be careful not to like make too sweeping a judgment in terms of, you know, it's it, it's not a case of Liverpool need to clear out 
10, 12 and, and bring in that kind of number. I think we've seen an evolution of the, the squad in the last couple of years, but it, you know this season has been a very painful campaign, a, a transition really in terms of going from one great team to hopefully Klopp building another. But I think what we've seen is they did they haven't done enough. They probably underestimated what needed to be done in previous windows. They probably over, overestimated what some of the current personnel could keep delivering and the, the level they could keep performing at. Probably underestimated the impact of playing 63 games and going the full distance in every competition last season and then, you know, the shortened pre-season, the injuries, everything else we talked about. But yeah, got to be careful because... There is a lot still to admire about this squad. I don't. Mm. I've seen some, you know, some suggestions that Klopp is now facing an even bigger challenge than when he first walked in in 2015. I'm not having that. No, you, know, like, no. you look at that's that's just nonsense. I when mean, you look at the squad that he inherited and what he's got now, I mean, attacking wise. You I know, mean, who's left from it? The um, Henderson. Yeah, it was, Milner, Firmino. Yeah. When you think who was there when he walked? They walked you know, he inherited like. Balotelli and Emery Shan, Margovitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Totten team, isn't it? Where you've got yeah. Lana, Origi up top. Up yeah. Top, and well, not many options off no. the bench. It needed, it needed them then. It needs them now, but in a different way because it's a rebuild. But yeah, that, he, yeah. he, he did the hardest rebuild yeah. you could do. Because that, that new era has started. You look at those attacking options that Liverpool have got. Yeah. You know, when they continue to gel and when you get them all back and you're allowed, you can mix and match and they're all fit. Because that's the other thing. Jotson and Firmino. You've got them available. They're not, they're not match fit. Jota doesn't yet. look quite no. himself and yet, does he? No. I think he needs a goal. He really does because he's he's not. He's nearly it's nearly. It's coming up for a year, isn't it? Since he last scored to Liverpool, but you look at that element of the pitch and that looks set for the next four or five years. We'd hope anyway, as you develop and you continue. But then it's you've still got two thirds of the pitch, which is you sort of do need to sort. And and centre back is is becoming more of a. A priority than I think we probably thought because of injuries and form of, of certain players. And there well, has you... been such a focus on the midfield that we've kind of forgot that centre back is such a key position. Mm. Without Canarte and how commanding he looks when he's on the pitch with Van Dyke, you kind of worry about the options there, don't you? Gomez, Matip, Nat Phillips hasn't really had a turn, has he yet? But that might might be to come. Yeah, but I mean, uh, let's be honest, you wouldn't fancy Nat against Real Madrid, <laughs> would you? I don't know what he did in the Santee. <laughs> <laughs> he did a little uh, turn in there. I need a bit of that. His own box. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you did the piece on, on the rebuilds, Andy, who stays and who goes. When you look at it, seven of Liverpool's 2019 Champions League final side started the game and five from Kiev in 2018. That's too many, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you look at Real Madrid and, and they've had a very consistent side, but even they've evolved from where they were when you know when we when Liverpool played them in Kiev. But they still have the core players, but still performing at the high level and probably the different styles that they play, especially in midfield. It's like Modric is what he's thirty seven, but he's still you know he got stronger as the game went on when Liverpool's midfield faded, and you sort of look at that and go, well, how's that? How's that happened when he's much older than these these other lads? But yeah, I think you you, need, you do need that evolution and. I think, given the way Liverpool play, it's it's almost more even more important than other sides because you're asking them to do, especially in that midfield, you're asking them to do so much running, so many games that you need to have these, you know, the next one coming through. And unfortunately, Liverpool haven't got that at the moment in terms of the quality bracket. They've obviously got young players, especially in that midfield department, but they're not ready yet to be, you know, starting Liverpool midfielders. And the problem you've got is then you've got the older sort of group who aren't able to do it. Week in, week, like week out at the moment. How many but, did you keep in your piece? I can't remember. <laughs> I, I, to be fair, I kept a fair few 
I mean, the obvious ones you you would expect to go would go, but it was a pretty. It wasn't a massive clear out, but the likes of Mata, Fabinho, sort of those those types of players. You think can they ever regain where they need where you need them to be? Or Liverpool need them to be, um, and are they ever going to get back to that level? And uh, Fabinho was giving me a little bit of a oh, maybe I've uh, got that one last few games, but then you see him last night and. Then it was like, mm, yeah, you can see where the problems have certainly been for them. The other thing is, you can only do so much, so much in one window, because you you see yeah, yeah. seen on the back of last night, people like you know producing lists of like fifteen players. Like these have all got to go. Yeah, yeah. This and it's it's like well, leave them know, with three players. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you talk about trying to bed in more than three or four over a summer is is a big challenge, and then you've got the financial implications of what needs to be done as well. So that you, know, you have to you have to bear that in mind. I mean, clearly. There's a sizable midfield rebuild on the horizon this summer, one way or another, with you know the you know, Milner, Oxley Chamberlain, Cater all out of contract. You know Arthur Mello clearly is going to be sent back to back to Juventus. Um, but as Keeves said, I think you know the the need to bring another centre half. I, I think you know that that has got to be next on the list uh, underneath that midfield um, rebuild because yeah, you know Canate is a class act. I think that's hurt Liverpool the fact he's missed so much football this season but the reality is the cover when he's not there isn't good enough you know Joe Gomez has endured a really torrid spell and and Joel Matip as well maybe could be the end of end of the road possibly for his Liverpool career come the come the summer and then at the top end probably you know Firmino is the question mark at the moment you know if if Firmino if he does stay then maybe Liverpool don't need to bring in another attacking player. But um, if he does go, then I think you know he, he'll certainly have to be replaced. There's another way of looking at it. Is it a case of they need to replace so many players? Um, I think they do. But do they need to give the tactics a rethink as well? Because Ancelotti has completely owned us tactically. You know, in the two games we've played against them in the past year, do they need to do something different? I guess we've spoke about the high line as well on recent podcasts and in pieces, but you look last night and the amount of players that were left back for Liverpool at times, it was just two or three. Real Madrid are a great counter-attacking team. They've mm. got so much speed. You look at Vinicius, he just like looked like no one was going to catch him ever. The quality he's got. I think that is a part of the game where you're thinking, can he bring that back a little bit? Like, what, can he adapt in-game more rather than, you know, change to the old tactics of, you know, Klopp's philosophy is embedded in this team. It's hard to, you know, start rebuilding that as well, as well as what he's got to do with, you know, in the summer. And right now you've got to get, got to get wins on the board. And it's, I think it's tricky, isn't it, in terms of Liverpool are built to play a certain way and that way isn't working currently. Or it does work at times as well because you've seen it work against Everton, Newcastle recently. But you just, yeah, it's yeah, it's just not working often enough. But I'll tell you what, for me, the highlight of last night was the protest against UEFA, booing the anthem, and I think that's really significant. You know, the flags on the cup. Uh, I thought, you know, it's it's making a point. You know, Manchester City boo the Champions League anthem because, you know, UEFA want to stop them spending money like drunken sailors. We boo it because we want to stop people being injured and dying at football matches. What was it like, James, the, the protest? The, we, I mean, we were expecting it, but did it lift your heart as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously it was sad that it was even needed, but I think it was it was a uh, a powerful 
show of kind of feeling towards UEFA and the, the French authorities. As you said, Tony, it was there from before the game kicked off with the, the boos and jeers that greeted the anthem and the chants from the cop. And then um, a number of banners I know had been kind of smuggled in past the stewards that were unfurled in you know on 36 minutes, which was obviously symbolic in terms of that was how long the, the final in Paris last May was was delayed by UEFA because of the, the shambolic scenes outside. And and yeah, I think you'd, you'd like to think that for, for Seferin and, and the other suits at UEFA, it would have made for uncomfortable viewing because um, you know they should hang their heads in shame after what they put so many people through. And, and I know from doing the piece on The Athletic last week, you know, on how both Liverpool and Real Madrid fans are, are still affected by it as well. Mm. It's not like, it's not just people say, oh, you know, move on and all the rest of it, but it's like it's still affecting so many lives. The fact that, you know, what people had to put up with outside because of the, the chaos with the, the dangerous bottlenecks and, you know, and the, the turnstiles not working and the tear gas from the police and then, you know, being left to basically a pack of wolves outside afterwards in terms of the muggings and the attacks that went on and... I spent some time recently with um, a Liverpool fan called Danny Smith, who was attacked with a with a hammer in front of his teenage son, who was you know, absolutely petrified, and you know, he just only learned only, only just started walking again, you know, a couple of months ago. Never hasn't been able to go back to work nine months on, awaiting a third knee operation. Been told he needs a full knee replacement. You know, you'd like to think that some of these things do resonate. I don't know whether, whether they even care, whether they listen. But yeah, for the French authorities and UEFA, and especially because of all the lies as well, it wasn't wasn't the fact they let fans down the light, but the night itself, but the lies that followed. And yeah, I thought it was a, it was a powerful, a much needed show of kind of unity and anger on the night. Yeah, because I think that game last night, I found I didn't want to watch the build-up because I was like, they're going to show stuff and... I felt like it was quite triggering and a lot of people I think would have felt that way if you're in Paris like I said on a recent podcast even the word Paris and it's in popular mm. culture so much you just sort of go oh Paris and think about it that way I wouldn't really want to go back there and I had such a lovely time in the days leading up to the final with friends and having a drink and a good time and you know what happened and you know like James went over it all there so that was a great display on the cop wasn't it for the fans and you'd expected it because that's what Liverpool fans are all about that solidarity kept people alive that you know sticking together and understanding what was going on around them was life-saving yeah and it's really important to think that we make these protests and we keep the pressure on because you know what you lose football matches and you bounce back and you win more if you lose people that is a tragedy this is walk on brought to you by the athletic in towards gerard oh. hello hello here we go this is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic, with me, Tony Evans, James Pierce, Kiefer O'Neill, and Andy Jones. And we're in Pogues, we've got a Guinness in front of us, and we're talking Liverpool, as you do. Well, is the top four still viable? Are we going to be back in the Champions League next year? Because we're not going to win it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that was the biggest thing for me coming away from Anfield last night was thinking, forget about the second leg. It, it's all it, the biggest thing now in the context of this season is Klopp trying to ensure that that doesn't completely and utterly derail things because it could do. Now, Phillips might get a game then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, when was, was the last time we were ever said, oh, you know, now we can concentrate on the league? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's you know, it's not the way that any of us 
expected this season to be panning out by the latter part of February, but it's where Liverpool are at. And, you know, Klopp said it himself. I think a defeat is only a defeat if you if you don't learn from it. And he has to try and spend the next few days trying to drill into them the, the positives, which were, you know, the way in which they took the game to Real Madrid. That has to be the benchmark for the rest of the season in terms of trying to impose themselves on opponents and then trying to address the glaring defensive weaknesses at the other end that, that we talked about. I mean, thankfully, Liverpool... Apart from going to the Bernabeu, they won't face another team as good as Real Madrid between now and the middle of May. They've got four games before the second leg. You know, they've got to go to Palace on the weekend. Then I think, was it Wolves at home, Man United at home, and then Bournemouth away. So yeah, the top, we know the top, like, I think the thing is we know that the teams above Liverpool will drop enough points to be caught. It's just whether Liverpool can be consistent enough to, to take advantage. And they, you know, that's, that, that's why... Klopp and his staff have got their work cut out for me in the next few days just to ensure that that for a team that's so fragile and brittle that that doesn't just completely destroy the positivity that they had from those wins over Everton and Newcastle. Yeah, and of course, Sellers Park next. Flashback to 2014. You know, it's a, if ever you're going to go to a place when your mentality is fragile, you're going to Sellers. But to be fair, I've seen Palace a few times this season. And they're not very good. So come on, Andy, we've got to get we've got to get something out. We've I was got to get something. Gonna say they might not be very good, but does that matter against Liverpool? <laughs> Sometimes at some point this season it hasn't mattered what, what form teams have got into games against Liverpool have still uh, they're still brought their A game. But yeah, no, it's it's paramount that Liverpool go there and get three points, isn't it? Not just because of the form Palace are in, but you need to bounce back from from what's just happened and you need to show that, you know, it's not gonna massively affect you and and it's gonna <clears throat> it's gonna become that roll-on effect that it has it from various sort of defeats already this season. It, it could be the perfect game. I mean, Liverpool generally have got a pretty good record there, haven't they? Surprisingly, because yeah. it's always sort of, it feels like it's always pinpointed. This is a really <laughs> difficult game and Liverpool always seem to win it. Yeah. Um, but they, obviously they've had the bad memories and I, I remember Brendan, I think it was that 3-1, wasn't it? The season after when Rodgers just stood there drenched and it was just, that was when the world seemed to be caving in. It's so important. I mean, you've just got to capitalise on, on that Palace uncertainty as well. Um, and hopefully, yeah, start the game really, really well. And Palace aren't on, on Real Madrid. So you would like to think if you get in the lead and you get an advantage that, you know, they're not going to be able to do what Real Madrid did to you. Did to you. And, and that, that's important. Get that fast start again, get that confidence back and then try and manage the game. <laughs> Easier yeah. said than done. Well, yeah. And the run up to the international break doesn't look too bad, does it? I mean, you've got Palace, Wolves next Wednesday, um, Man United... Okay, and Bournemouth, but you'd expect you'd expect nine points from that. Ah, no, what the hell? You'd expect you'd expect all the points. You'd expect twelve from that, wouldn't you? Yeah, Man United are flying, but other than that, you think all right. Liverpool's recent games against Wolves haven't been great, but you'd expect three points there. Palace, like you've mentioned, Andy, it's always a difficult place to go. But Liverpool do have a good record there, and then Bournemouth. I mean, will they want revenge for that nine nil? But Liverpool season kind of dropped off a little bit after that didn't it scored too many goals that game I think <laughs> used up their allocation yeah, so, well, well look the top four is still within touching distance I think so there is a little bit of positivity and there appears to be some clarity about what's going on with the sale doesn't there I mean John Henry are we selling LFC no will we be in England forever no um, it's a bit of a mixed message. However, it's the same message that he said to me back eight years ago 
you know, in 2015, when he first spoke to me about selling the club, he basically said, we're going to sell. And we're in no hurry. We'll wait for the right offer. We don't need to sell because we've got enough cash. Um, whether they've got enough cash to compete is a different question. But did you find it give you any more clarity, James? Uh, do you know what? I, I think really John W. Henry just confirmed what publicly what senior FSG people have been saying privately for quite a while, which was that they were now you know, increasingly keen on the idea of a minority state rather than a, than a full takeover. And, you know, I know some people have said, well, you know, that was always, that was always the case, but it wasn't because, you know, you go back to November when David Ornstein broke the news that Liverpool was for sale on the athletic, that there was absolutely no denial at that point that the club was up for sale. And that was the, that was the big difference from all those previous times when, they'd look for fresh investment because back then it was always the caveat, a minority stake. That is all, that is all we're willing to, to do business with. But the reality is they haven't got the kind of offers that they probably exactly. were expecting. They, they, I, they, they thought they would be have people knocking at the door. Because, yeah. you know, Anfield, you know, Liverpool is a trophy club. And they thought, yeah, we, we'll be able to sell. But there have been no serious offers to buy the entire club. And that's... It's frightening in some ways because it kind of tells you that any potential buyers are very apprehensive because they don't want to have to deal with the, the nation state clubs, you know, the Newcastles, the PSGs, the Manchester Cities. That would put you off if you were a buyer, wouldn't it, Andy? Yeah, unless you're one of them yourself and you can compete. But I, I, say, I, I don't think United sort of, well, we're going to be up for sale as well has helped at all because then suddenly you've got two of the biggest clubs in the world and um whether whether it you know there might be something after you know United sort of is sorted and then then Liverpool are back to being the only club up for sale that that there might might that might play a part as well. But yeah when you look at it now and, and the amount of money that is available to these state run clubs it, it is so difficult to compete and, and FSG have, have I think have, have certainly realised that and that's why they're looking for for that new investment because you know, you need <laughs> you need a lot of money um, to to be able to go out and and do all you know what you need to do in the trans in the transfer market to to make sure your brand players of the sufficient quality to then compete with, you know, these teams who are just going to get stronger and stronger because you know they can spend all the time. I think as well for Liverpool with the situation they're in, buying Liverpool a year ago compared to buying Liverpool now is much different in that you were buying a club which were looked like they were at the peak, whereas now you're buying a club where you know you. Your first window, if you were if you were to buy before the summer, your first window, you're gonna to have to spend 250, 300 million to to just you know, hopefully get it back to where it was. Um, so it's it's not just the the buying of the club; it's it's all that type of stuff yeah, as well. Definitely. I think which would factor in. Definitely, I've heard a rumor that they're already at Manchester Piccadilly putting up the sign, uh, Manchester Sports Washing Capital of Wales. <laughs> you know, it's um, any of the Qataris take over United, but if that happens. And Liverpool don't qualify for the top four. This summer is going to put a lot of heat on John Henry and Fenway Sports Group, isn't it, Kiva? Yeah, because we know what needs to be done. Andy said there, what well, you've got to spend 250 to 300 million to even get Liverpool to a place where they need to be challenging again. You know that they can't just do it off fumes anymore. They need actual players, and it's you know money's going to have to be put into the club this summer. It feels like they've been sort of past couple of summers we've been waiting for the big summer and the big summer's never quite arrived so this summer has to be that summer it's got to be otherwise Liverpool are just going to keep on as you've seen this season they're falling away and it's happening fast you know they might 
be able to get top four and you know maybe a lot will depend on that you know qualifying for the Champions League the money you get for that going far in the Champions League as well I think is important but obviously that looks like it might be now coming to a halt uh, thanks to Real Madrid so it's going to be interesting isn't it because as well if you do just get an investor which you say that they want what's that investor going to do then buy 10% of the club and then put in even more money like are they going to you're going to have to have an investor who wants to put money into the club and maybe wants to own the club in full one day like I just there's just so much uncertainty ever since you say about David Ornstein's story that the club was up for sale since then it's just been a rocky road hasn't it up and down and there's, the messages have been mixed now we've got what John W. Henry said which feels to be you know what I think you've been hearing for a while James but this is going to go on and on and on. It doesn't feel like it's going to be resolved before the summer. I'd be surprised if it is. Yeah, there is a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? Because, you know, I think we all know that there's a big summer rebuild that needs to be done. But who's going to pick up the tap? No one no one knows because, um, you know, there isn't, you know, well, unless FSG change their business model, there isn't going to be the kind of money available that needs to be spent. That's the that's the reality of it. Because when you look at how they've done things so far, you know the you know the the, the self sustaining business model. You know whatever Liverpool generate, you know that goes back in. But you know if they miss out on the Champions League, that obviously has a has a big impact. Yes, you've got things kicking in this summer, like you know the new deal with Standard Chartered. You've got the new Anfield Road, seven thousand extra seats and the extra revenue that will generate. But um, but yeah, you know, and Liverpool don't have the kind of obvious saleable assets to generate significant funds that could be reinvested into the squad. And and then you've also got a situation where you know it's going to be interesting to see who who does emerge in terms of who is willing to you know FSG ideally would be looking at you know maybe three hundred four hundred million pounds for you know 10 12 percent say of the of the club but obviously that's a huge amount of money to invest when you're not having any control or or say in the ultimate decision making so um so yeah it does it does feel like you know it's it's important that 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 new search for new investment does happen before the summer because um you know if it doesn't then you know you you do wonder you know where where that leaves Liverpool in terms of being able to do what needs to be done. Mm. Well, it sounds like we need new players, we need new tactics, we need need new owners and new policies from Emory Sports Group. It's we're not asking for much, <laughs> you know. Anyway, we'll take an eight count on that because we've a bit battered and bruised after Real Madrid. We've had a small drink and. Off to Palace. We'll bounce back. So thanks to James, Kiva and Andy, as well as you for listening. And remember, get involved in our Walk On group on Facebook. Just search Walk On Podcasts and join the group there. And we'll be back on Monday. And you know what? We won't need drink to have this conversation because we're on a natural high of victory. (laughs) I guarantee it again. (laughs) Oh, no. I've said it. (laughs) The Athletic.